This message comes to you from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon, where we are committed to living like Jesus and sharing His love. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. Hey, why don't we stand this morning, grab your Bible. We're gonna pray before we, uh, before we dig into a story today. Why don't you just pray to me, Jesus, here we are, and we need you. Today, we open our heart to the story you're gonna tell us. Change me in order that I might reach others. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated, man. It's, uh, it's really fun to be here today. Uh, my name's Walter Madison, and I have never been in the same room with you or for the online campus if I've never, uh, you've never heard me preach. I'm usually at this time of the morning saying, good morning, 217 campus. I've been the campus pastor there uh, for the last 12 years since we opened it up. And today we're kind of rotating some people around. And so I got the opportunity to come and speak. And it was, I was thinking about it this week. It's actually um, kind of an interesting week to be back. I haven't preached for a couple years here. And I realized that it's this week in July, 30 years ago, 1985 in July, that I moved to Portland and came to Bible Temple now, then, City Bible Church now. So kind of ironic, 30 years, man, I have been here and I've watched this campus go through a lot of change. Now let me just ask in the room, how many are new in the last five years? Let me just see your hands. Wow, man. How many have been here 30 years or longer? Let me see your hands. There's some of my people. You wouldn't all know if you've only been here the last five years, but you wouldn't believe it. At one time, we had these giant chairs that stood on the platform, and there was like 15 steps to get up to the platform. Sounds like a Catholic church, doesn't it, or something. And I just am so thankful that when I became a pastor, we didn't sit on thrones up here. You know, I've watched the church go through a lot of change, and it's amazing what God's doing and how many people he's bringing in. And uh, Man, I love City Bible Church. I love the church as a whole. And it's just so much fun to be here today. And today I get to be in part of the, the, the story series that we're in. And let me just ask a question. How many like a good story? Now, some of us like to probably read stories. Anybody like to read in the room? I mean, I love, man, my favorite genre of reading is history and murder. I love a good mystery. Can anybody relate with me? Anybody like mysteries? You know, I mean, or good British mystery shows. I mean, there's something just about somebody's dead and they don't know how it happened and you gotta find out. I know that's a real Christian thought, but I love mysteries. Is anybody with me? How many like romances? Oh my gosh, we should talk to you and start a small group. I'm telling you right now, I've never figured it out. But people like all kinds of genres and then there's movies and, and uh, my wife's not here today. She's at 217, so I can talk about her because she will not find out. And my wife doesn't cry very much, which has always been a help for me. But when she watches a movie, I watch her get moved to tears sometimes. Or like some of the shows like Biggest Loser and some of those, you know, where people overcome life stories. I mean, I sit there and I'm just, you know, usually when I'm watching something, I'm on my computer too or reading or something. And I look over and she's got tears streaming down. I'm thinking, what's the matter with you? Because if she cries and it's not about a TV show, I better pay attention. But why? Because stories can move us, can't they? A story, if it's a good story, it gets a hold of you and, and there's something in you that you begin to live the story out. I mean, there's all kinds of stories, but 
in this series, we've been talking about stories that aren't just entertainment. We've been talking about stories that carry important values and, and lessons from one generation to another. You think about that. There are those kind of stories that have value to them that, in fact, God said to the nation of Israel, I want you to tell the story of how I brought you out of Egypt. And I wanna make sure that you keep telling it and you retell it to every generation because I never want them to forget what I've done in their life and that I'm a good God and that all things are possible with me. And as we come into this series, we, we realize that stories can have a huge impact in our life. And I think that's why Jesus told a lot of stories. He took truths and concepts and he packaged them in a story because it's a lot of times easier for us to put ourselves in, a, in a, somebody else's shoes or to think about something when it's in a story. Jesus' followers, they're, they're probably a lot like you and I that Jesus tells one of the stories one time and the Bible calls them parables. He tells a story about a farmer who plants seed and some of the seed went deep and some died and some didn't grow very well and others weeds choked out and these guys are sitting there going, Jesus, what's up with the stories? We don't even get them and Jesus says, I tell you stories for the humble to learn truth and for the pride to have truth hidden from them. And my hope today is that every one of us in this room, as we're gonna go through a story today that Jesus told, I want you to imagine if you're in the room with Jesus and Jesus is telling us the story today. And I hope our hearts are open that he wants to come in and do something because really in this series is simply learning life's lessons, most helpful lessons from Jesus. Everybody shout story. story. You've got one and Jesus entered into it and we're gonna just sit and listen to him today. And I want you to turn in your Bible, if you would, to Luke chapter 10. I'm gonna go through the ESV today. It's one of the translations we use, but uh, they're also gonna have it on the screen. And so anytime you, you're in a different translation, you can follow along or always you can text 313131, text the word notes and you'll get all of the main part of my notes along with the scriptures and you can add your, your notes to it. So today I wanna to take us through a story. It's actually one of the most famous stories in the Bible uh, that Jesus ever told. It's one of the, deepest truth lessons that he, that he brought to us. And last week, Pastor Ken, he spoke on the prodigal son, the lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son. And, and we really learned a lot about what it means to make sure our heart isn't staying, just looking for those on the inside, but we're looking to outside and letting God use us in, in, in a unique way in the culture that he puts us in. But today I wanna talk about another incredibly famous story. The Bible, a lot of the headers in our Bible call it the Good Samaritan. How many have ever heard the term Good Samaritan? Now, when I say Good Samaritan, what do you think about? Well, you maybe think about somebody who did a good deed or somebody who did something helpful to somebody, you know? The classic Boy Scout helping the little old lady across the street to the person who's got a flat tire on the side. And, and that's kind of what we have come in our American culture to even look at what a Good Samaritan means. But I want to challenge us as we go into this story. It has a lot deeper meaning than just you kind of helping somebody along the side of the road. And I want to just take his verse by verse, and, and uh, I want to just look at this story, and I want to look at it through Jesus' eyes and Jesus' culture that he was talking through. Are you ready? Three of you are ready. Wow. Pastor Mark's gone, and you all go silent on me. Hey, how many are ready to go through the Bible? Come on. Verse 25, and behold, a lawyer, shout a lawyer. A lawyer stood up and he put him to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He being Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you've answered correctly, do this 
and you will live. Now let's understand kind of the setting before we get to the actual story. We've got a lawyer here. And just much, uh, as much in our day, we would understand that a lawyer understands the law. This would have been a religious lawyer. We're talking about the law of Moses and he would have understand, he probably would have memorized the, the Pentateuch, the first books of the Bible. He would have been able to explain them. He would have known all the additional laws that, the, that they had come up with by that point. And so he understood the law and he's coming to Jesus and he's not really coming with pure motives. He's coming, it says, to test him. And it says that he was, he's asking this one question, which is a question common in the day as it is today for us. What do I have to do to have eternal life? Now, I love Jesus. Jesus was actually very counterculture in so many ways. He doesn't even answer the guy's question. I mean, he's kind of rude if you think about it. He just says, you tell me, you're the expert, basically. You're the expert. You're the lawyer. You tell me what the law says. And he quotes two of the most famous portions of the Old Testament that really, Jesus even said in other chapters, this sums up all the law that you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I wonder if he wanted to pause right there and say, and I don't mean just outwardly, but I mean inwardly. I mean where that love begins to change and affect you. And honestly, if you love God with all your heart, I can hear Jesus saying, then it will take you to the second one, which is love your neighbor like yourself. But Jesus just says, that's right. If you do that, you'll have eternal life. But for the lawyer, it wasn't enough. Why? Because there was an underlying motive Jesus was done with the conversation, but the man wasn't. We pick it up in verse 29. It says, he, being the lawyer, he desired, notice this, to justify himself. He said to Jesus, who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? Look at somebody around you and ask you, are you my neighbor? This isn't a test, by the way. You don't have to actually get an answer. You see, in our culture, we often think of our neighbor as something defined by proximity, Right? It's my neighbor that lives next door. It's the person sat next to me. Who's my neighbor? But Jesus is knowing that this question is really going deeper because this man is trying to justify himself. Let's understand something about the culture Jesus was in at that time. There would have been, in essence, four, I could say, tiers of society in Jesus' day and age. There would have been the priesthood. They would have been the most respected. They would have been the ones with the most position, the most knowledge, authority. Then there was the Levites. They would have been the temple workers. They're the ones who took care of the temple, the, the point of place of worship for the Israelites in Jerusalem. Then there was the Israelites. They would have been that third rung down and they were the common people, if I could say it that way, just the, the people that lived in the nation. And then there were the foreigners. And Pastor Ken last week actually explained that in that culture, they called them the people of the land, that the foreigners they didn't really have any place in society. They weren't looked at as worthy to even be called a neighbor or have a relationship with. And, and it's interesting, that man, when he asked Jesus the question, I think he's justifying himself because he's in that top tier. Have you ever felt like you're in the bottom tier of a group? That place of being set aside, that part of you have no position to make anything happen, that you don't have the relationship, that others look down upon you. All of us have faced that at some point. And this lawyer, he says he wants to justify himself. I wonder if, because anytime Jesus gets involved, the Holy Spirit's involved, and I wonder what the Holy Spirit was trying to work into his heart right there. It says that to justify himself, he asked the question, who's my neighbor? Really what he's not asking is who's my neighbor. What he's asking is, 
Jesus, who do I really have to be kind to? I'm not sure. You're telling me I have to love my neighbor as myself. Number one, I love myself a lot. Number two, who do I have to love like I love myself? That seems pretty impossible. And the way our society is, I can just see loving those that are like me. I think we all kind of wrestle with that. So we ask the question. The second question is, who's my neighbor? Here goes Jesus again. What does he do? Does he answer the question? No. He never answers the question. He starts to tell the story. And I want us to look at this story, and he introduces four characters. Interesting. With society, as I've said. The priesthood, the Levites, the Israelites, and the foreigners. You see, the further down you are in that chain from an Israelite's point of view, the less value you have in society. And Jesus begins to bring a story that's going to mess this man up. And I think it might mess some of us up today or at least cause us to ask some questions. So let's pick it up in verse 30. It says, Jesus replied. The question, remember, who's my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man going down. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers. They stripped him and beat him and they departed. And they left him half dead. This would have been a well-known road in, to this man. I'm sure they were in Jerusalem when Jesus is talking with them. And the road from Jerusalem to Jericho was a road that was about 17 miles long. And in those 17 miles, it descended 3,300 feet. It'd be kind of like going from Mount Hood to Sandy, maybe, if you've ever been up on Mount Hood. It was a, it was a steep road. And I thought the video kind of showed it well compared to the, the context of what it was. It was a narrow road. It was a, it was a road that was fairly well-traveled, but it was a road you wouldn't want to travel by yourself. There was a lot of rocks. There was a lot of places for robbers to hide. And, and this was a commonly known road that was unsafe to be by yourself. And yet Jesus says, by the way, there's a man, a Jewish man, a man who was an Israelite who's walking down this path. And unbeknownst to him, there's men out to do him harm. Imagine this, this man's beginning to think, the lawyer's beginning to think, okay, Jesus, so my neighbor's an Israelite. I got that. But Jesus begins to paint a picture, and I want us in this morning, I realize in our American culture that probably if you saw a person lying on the side of the road that was hurt, most of you would stop. But I want to pose the question to you, what if that wasn't something that you could physically see, but what if it was somebody around you that was like this man, that in their spiritual life, maybe in their physical life, or their emotional life, or their relational life, they've been stripped bare. Think about that. How many people in our culture have no covering? They have no, no place of safety. There's nothing in their life, maybe that brings completeness to them and security. How about being beaten? I think about all the people, including in this room, me included, that have wounds and are trying to have God reconcile us, but without God, we even have less hope than those of us that are in the room. But maybe there's wounds that need healing. Maybe there's pain and there's hurt that comes into our life through life experiences. Jesus is using a very quick word picture, but I want to take it a little deeper today. How many people are, are just alone? In America, we live in a society where so many people live alone. Jesus' description of this man half dead physically, I think applies to a lot of people that are half dead spiritually. And I wonder if Jesus is even right now in this room beginning to help all of us see with fresh eyes 
the people that we are asking, Lord, who's my neighbor? What's the condition that they're in? What is their life like? Not just physically. It's so much easier to see somebody who's got a physical wound on the outside, but how much harder is it for us to see when somebody's struggling on the inside? Jesus has painted a picture that I think we're all just stopping and thinking for a moment. Who's around me? And he picks up the story in verse 31. He says, now by chance, a priest was going down that road and when he saw him, he, he passed on the other side and likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by the other side. Now I am sure as this lawyer was thinking, he's thinking, okay, he's mentioned a priest. The priest is the one who knows the law and the law that says the greatest commandment to love God and love your neighbors yourself. I'm sure that Jesus is gonna tell me he loved him because he was his neighbor. Interesting, it says he saw him. He's not distracted like I am when I'm driving. I don't know, any distracted drivers in the room? My kids tell me all that, you know, I almost got hit the other day. I never saw him, and thank God somebody was with me and told me to stop. You know, I mean, we get distracted, but it isn't even that. This, the Bible says he saw him. He gazed upon him. He looked at him and went the other side. It says the Levite, one of the other translations says the Levite, he went to where he was. He, he actually went over almost like the guy and and kind of kicked him to see if he's awake or if how he is. And then he just made a choice that I don't want to get involved. And he walked on by and I don't know which is worse. Both saw him. Both saw the need. Both walked away. It's interesting to me. I, I, I stopped and I thought, I wonder, I wonder Jesus why you didn't tell us why they walked away. And I think it's because Jesus wants us to fill in the blank with whatever our thing is of why we see and walk away. Sometimes for me it's, well, to be honest, it's schedule. Sometimes for us, maybe it's indifference. Maybe it's callousness. Maybe it's that we've seen so much need for so long that sometimes we forget God's gonna ask us to take on certain situations and be involved, but we look at it and it's so broad and it's so overwhelming that sometimes I think we just get numb to it. Whatever it is, those two men, they saw they knew God's word. They knew what the, what the greatest commandments were. And here are the two men that should have exemplified it. And yet they walk away. And in verse 33, I don't want you to think of this parable right now as the good Samaritan. I want you to think about it as the despised Samaritan. The NLT actually says that. It says, then a despised Samaritan. Or as the ESV says, but a Samaritan. Say a Samaritan. Say a despised Samaritan. You see, in our culture, we've thought about this Samaritan being good for so long, which he is, we're gonna see at the end of the story, but culturally, this would have messed this man up. Jesus, wait a minute, don't you dare bring in a Samaritan into the story. Don't you dare, because a Samaritan, in fact, they would have called him a filthy Samaritan in that day and that age, because there was such hatred between the Israelites and the Samaritans. This would have, Mess this guy up. The lawyer, he's struggling right now in this story and he's gritting his teeth and he's probably getting angry with Jesus because the story Jesus is telling is not the story this man wants to hear. And he says, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. He's on the same road. He sees the same man. He processes what's going on the same way, but it says, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Compassion. It's amazing. You see, 
If anybody shouldn't have had compassion, it should be this man. Culturally, Jews believed that they were God's chosen people, that, that God's priesthood in Israel was the right priesthood, that where they worship in Jerusalem was the only place of worship. But you see, the Samaritans believed the exact same thing, but their, their priesthood functioned differently and was in a different city. We had two groups who had different religious beliefs and values. Because of it, they hated each other. Because of the feeling of both of them felt morally superior to the other, because of that, there was a bridge within them that they could not see the other person with clean eyes. I gotta be honest, this was a race issue. This was absolutely a bottom line race issue because the Jews felt they were pure in their Jewish heritage. They only married other Jewish people and the Samaritans had moved north and they had intermarried with other races. And so because of that, the Jews looked down on them and they could never even worship in the temple. They were excluded by a wall. Came down to prejudice. That's That's a word that's hot in our culture today. Can I just say something about when we have differences, when we let our, even our religions and our, our values and our beliefs begin to build walls with other people, begins to be a problem because what begins to happen, whether we realize it or not, we begin to build prejudices. And the challenge I find with a lot of times with prejudices, many times it's not even based on something that's happened to you, it's happened, you base them based on what your culture says based on what you see and differences you don't understand between other people. Gets real quiet in the room when you say that, doesn't it? Everybody take a deep breath. It gets lighter, I'm sure, right? Story gets better, right? Y'all okay? Come on. Can you feel the tension in this story Jesus is telling? Jesus is putting his finger on some hot spots, not just in that culture, but in our culture today. But there's a word that everything begins to shift in this, in this story. And right here in this verse, Jesus introduces a difference. You see, almost all the Old, all the Old Testament, whenever it talked about a neighbor, it was talking about a fellow, fellow Israelite. Jesus is saying, let me tell you who your neighbor is. It's anybody. In fact, let me tell you who you think is the worst neighbor you could ever have in your life. And I'm gonna tell you, that's who you've gotta be a neighbor to. Story begins to shift. You see, compassion is something amazing because compassion is something that is, comes from the inside and, and compassion is really the seed of your emotions. It's the seed of, of your feelings. It's very close to the word heart. Compassion is actually almost interchangeable in the Greek with the word mercy. Compassion and mercy. You know, what I, how I see that word compassion is compassion is what begins to move inside where you can begin to put yourself, you know how it happens? You begin to put yourself in somebody else's shoes. You begin to look at what they're facing, what they're going through, and you say, if I was in their shoes, what would I want to have happen? Who would I want to help me? How would I want things to be different? And compassion starts on the inside, begins to move you to a place of mercy in your behavior. Compassion, as I want to define it, is simply the moving of your heart toward those in need. But there's not a period right there. And acting on their behalf. Something that starts within us, but it moves us to a place of action. Because Jesus begins to describe, he begins to describe 
what the man does. Verse 34, he being the Samaritan, the despised Samaritan, he went to him and he bound up his wounds. He poured on oil and wine and then he set him on his own animal. And he brought him to an inn and he took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and he took him to the innkeeper saying, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. You know what's amazing to me about compassion? Compassion, Jesus is saying, is what helped this man move past prejudices. If you can imagine this, this Samaritan, he comes and he sees this Israelite on the ground. And I wonder if the thought went through his head. If the roles were reversed, I'm not sure he would help me if I was on the ground. Why should I help him? But when he let compassion rule his behavior, not his prejudices, everything changed. And it says, he went and he began to act on that man's behalf. And, and Jesus, in essence, is changing the question from who's my neighbor to really what does neighborly love require? What does God require of me in being a neighbor? Isn't that really the question that Jesus is answering here? By context, we understand that everybody's my neighbor because if Jesus would use a Samaritan, he's saying anybody is an opportunity in your life to reach into their life. But what does neighborly love require? You know, neighborly love is loving others with compassion in their need, but not based on our convenience, our cost, or our preconceived ideas. Boy, those two things conflict with each other. Let love win out. How do we live like Jesus and share his love? We talk about that as our mission at City Bible Church, and we talk often about how to do this. Wow. What barriers have we put up, even as believers? You see, in essence, the story really goes like this. A member of City Bible Church was walking on a road and got beat up. A pastor went by. It didn't help him. One of our connect group leaders walked by and didn't do anything. But there was an atheist who hated God and hated church and wanted nothing to ever do with Christianity. When he saw the man, he stopped and he helped him. Now, I tell you what, I don't like that story, but that's the story Jesus used. And he simply comes down and he says to the man, he says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Boy, Jesus, why won't you just stink and answer my first question and my second question? Why do you, I? and Jesus saying, you're asking the wrong questions. I want you to know what loving your neighbor looks like. He says, who was it? Who was it that was a neighbor, not to anybody, but to the man who was in need? I think that man's prejudices were so strong. He didn't say the Samaritan. I want you to notice that. He's still struggling, I think. I think he's still dealing with the story Jesus told because all they can say is the one who showed mercy. The man, the unnamed, I won't even say his name, but okay, I got it. It's the one who showed mercy. And Jesus simply said, then you go and you do likewise. Is anybody here challenged by this story? As I stop and I think about the story and I I know I get to stand here and preach in the pulpit and I gotta tell you that God speaks to me about my own barriers that I put up with people. And I think about, I was thinking about this, my block. 
Who is it in my own neighborhood that I have disqualified from me even letting God use me as a neighbor, maybe a physical neighbor, I got it, but who's in my life that I say, you know what, because we are so different in our beliefs, I don't think God could ever use me to reach into their life. There's a cultural war raging in our society, and I'll tell you where we lose as believers. Do we need to stand for biblical values? You can say that loud. Do we need to believe what God says we should believe and how we should live? Do we need to stand for moral principles? Do we need to love unconditionally in spite of what others view of their moral principles? And that's where the conflict comes. And you know what will reach into our society is a group of people that say, when Jesus said, love my neighbor and let it show, it changes me on the inside because love will win out. Prejudices and behaviors will not win out. And I'm bothered by the story. And I want to let it bother me until I make sure that I don't have anything in my life that says, Lord, there's something that would stop in that person's life that they're doing that would keep me from loving them. Wow, we all have them. Who is it that even right now God's speaking to you? I want you to invite to your block party that you want to invite to my block. And you, you know, Holy Spirit's right now. And I can hear some of the arguments going right now. But Jesus, do you come at them from a place of what you believe or do you come to a place of being their neighbor? And today, I think the Holy Spirit's working on all of us to tear down walls between us and people. The question, who's my neighbor? You know what it is? It's everybody. But I also believe God is specifically gonna identify certain people in your life that he wants you to reach into. I'm not gonna ask for the last slide that I had, but I wanted just you to think about this for a moment. You know one of the things that keeps us maybe from showing neighborly love too? When I look at what that man did, what the Samaritan did for the Israelite, it cost him something. Have you ever thought about that? Sometimes we don't wanna pay the price. He put him on his own donkey and I thought, man, if I've got a 17 mile journey between Jerusalem and Jericho, that's my mode of transportation. I don't even like walking, I like only driving. He's just got a donkey. He inconvenienced himself by putting that man and putting his needs above his own and he put him on that donkey and I think he walked however long it was while that man rode. It doesn't say he took him to the hospital and he put him in and let somebody, it says he took him to an inn and he took care of him. He not only paid for that night, he was willing to pay whatever it cost. There was a long-term commitment that was possibly required in this. And yet, in the story Jesus tells us, I think Jesus is saying to us City Bible Churches, look, don't let the cost of what it may cost you stop you from loving your neighbor. Don't let inconvenience, that's a big one for me. I do not like being inconvenienced. If it's not on my calendar, Jesus, could you make sure it fits my calendar? How many have found when you reach into somebody's life, it doesn't always fit your calendar? the midnight calls or the, you know, the, the times where they need to talk and they just need to get a hold of you and, and it's not convenient. And yet Jesus is saying it doesn't matter your convenience. It matters how you love them. Am I speaking to anybody in the room today? This is an amazing story. You know what I'm so proud of? I'm so proud of our church that we have continued to press ourselves to tear down walls, to reach into our city, to say that, no matter your lifestyle choices, if I could say it that way, God loves you and we love you unconditionally.
And we know that God wants to help you see your purpose for his life and how to live. But we want you to know we love you right where you're at. No strings attached except a Jesus string because we want you to know Jesus. And there's something about as we continue to press forward, I believe in the days that are ahead, the greatest thing that we can do is love our neighbor as ourself. It's not preaching at them, it's loving them like Jesus loves them. I'm gonna ask the band to come to the front. Stories. Let me ask you a question. How many here have got your own story where Jesus encountered you? Let me see your hands. I know that there's probably people in here that have not maybe reached that place yet, but you're on a journey. But you know, I wanna ask you a question. In your journey, in your story of whatever life has been for you, was there somebody who came into your story that showed you love like Jesus described? Maybe not physically, but to help connect your heart, to reach into hurting places, to point you to Jesus, to show you God's word and his love. Let me just ask you, what would your life have been like if somebody hadn't reached into your life? Were you the prettiest? Were you the cleaned up the most? Were you a prize package of Jesus? Like, oh my gosh, I've got to have them in my kingdom because without them, I'm incomplete. That's not any of us, is it? I'm still wondering how Jesus hasn't found out what I'm doing for a job and had me removed. But you know what? When I look back at my life, I think about the people that God sent into my life, into my story, at times to heal brokenness in my life. Times to help me with wisdom and guidance. And I look at people like Dave Chown, who I remember 18 years ago spoke a word in my business. Difficult world to say, I believe the Lord wants you to sell your business, him and Steve. And put me on a collision course with God's will and purpose. And it was walking me through that season that I realized somebody loved me enough and cared about me and could see things I couldn't even see. When you begin to look through compassion, you begin to see greatness in people, not their failures. When you begin to look through compassion, you begin to see what God can do with a broken life instead of the mess that they currently are. You know how I know? Because there's a lot of us in this room that God has done some miracles and amazing things that we're still on the journey and I'm still a story. But my story's looking a lot better than it was five years, 10 years, 12 years ago. Can I have you stand with me this morning?